Let us pray. Most loving and gracious God, we give you thanks and praise for this day. We pray that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts to hear your voice. Lord, may your word be spoken and your word received. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All three of the readings that we heard this morning give us glimpses into what the fullness of the kingdom of God will look like. Especially that vivid image in Isaiah, one where all of the broken relationships are reconciled, the animals that used to destroy one another will live in harmony, the poor will be taken care of, the marginalized brought into the fold, the hungry will be fed. This image of God's provision and setting everything right that is to come. And everything that is out of order will be set in order in the fullness of the kingdom of God. And Paul speaks of the gospel being preached to the Gentiles that the whole world might come to know the love of God, reconciling the whole world to himself in and through Jesus Christ. And then we hear this image of John the Baptist calling people to repentance. But in order to understand what we're called to do, we have to, to understand that our call in the fullness of the kingdom of God is to a relationship with the God who loves us and created us. That's at the heart of what is being reconciled and what is being discussed. And we'll see that that's an important distinction because I think that's one of the cautions that John the Baptist is giving. Because we hear he is saying to, to the people, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. He's calling the people to return calling the people to recognize that they've gotten off track and it's time to refocus and to renew their commitment to walking with God. And John is clearly, um, from this description, a strange-looking guy who uh, has a steady diet of locusts and wild honey. And his call, though, to repentance seems to be heard as people from all over are coming for this baptism of repentance. And then he gets into this debate um, with the Pharisees and the Sadducees as they're coming for baptism as well, and he doesn't say, nice to see you, welcome to the waters of baptism. He says a friendly, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee? bear fruit worthy of repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor. And we might think, well, that's not really going to recruit a lot of people uh, to come. But what he's getting at is he's warning the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and I think us, that it's not about uh, our external rituals and the things that we do per se. It is about the transformation of our hearts and our relationship with God. 
And so that caution, well, don't just presume that you're able to say, well, we have Abraham as our father. I do all of the things. I have this external ritual that I do. And what I think John the Baptist is starting to get at, and what's key to, to Christianity, is that Christianity is a religion of relationship that we have with Jesus and that Jesus has with us. It is not a religion of law by where we just do all of the right things. And if we just do all of the right things, God will send a Messiah because we've done all the right things. And thereby we save ourselves. But John the Baptist is pointing us to the reality of what is the life in Christ, that it's all about a relationship. We have been called into relationship with a person, a human being, Jesus Christ, who is also God, who loves us, and we're called to love him in return. We're not called to just labor under a taskmaster who's sitting there with his checklist, just making sure we tick off all the right things. Because I think what we start to see preached throughout the gospel is it's easy for us to do a lot of external things that in themselves may look great while our heart is in a really bad place. We can put on the greatest of show for anybody to watch and do and do and do and it looks great when people see from a distance. But Jesus' question really is what's going on in our hearts? And then he gives this image um, looking at the, the final judgment that will come of the, the, the one whose winnowing fork is in his hand. And this may be an image since most of us are not farmers. We have no idea what's going on. But you have to separate the wheat that you want to keep from the chaff that grows along with it. And so it has to be brought up to this floor, usually on a hill, and there's this wide pitchfork. And you throw it up in the air and the wind blows away all the chaff that we don't want, but the heavy seed falls at the feet of the farmer. And so there's this sorting that's going on as John the Baptist gives this warning that a judgment will come. And when we hear this, we can, we can get the wrong impression that the message is a judgment is coming, do the right things so that you can bear the fruit worthy of repentance. And if that's what we hear, then I think we've heard the message incorrectly because that's then an invitation to a, a, to a religion of law, which is not what Jesus comes to say. But as he says, there will be a judgment in the end. The call then is not to do the right things, it's to know the right one. Because it's knowing Jesus that changes everything. Then, as things are sorted out, then in the final judgment, we don't need to be people who fear because we know that we have fallen at the feet of the Lord. And we receive His love and mercy and forgiveness and grace. Thereby, then, everything is changed that it's not about what we do and standing before God on our own righteousness. But really, then, the invitation is to come and to know God more and more more personally, more deeply, more intimately, through His Son, Jesus Christ, who was given for us, who did everything on our behalf that we can never do, so that we do not need to be people of fear, 
worrying about whether we have checked all the right boxes. But that we might live as people who have been set free by God, who are loved by God, and who know that Jesus has done everything that is necessary. And that at the last day, we will be raised with Christ to dwell in the new creation. And so we do not need to be people of fear. Now that doesn't mean that there aren't things in our life day by day that we still have need of repentance, right? Because we all know we're not nailing it 100% of the time every single day. And so then we have an invitation to return to the Lord without fear, recognizing the places in our lives that don't reflect the image of Christ. And to confess those to ask the Holy Spirit to change and transform us and then to go out and live another day with the Lord. And then without fear to be able to come back and say, how did it go? Where were the places that I saw Jesus reflected in and through me? And then we give thanks to God for that, not thanks to ourselves. And then we say, where are the places that Christ was not visible to others in me? And those are the places we bring to repentance. And this we do on a daily basis. And there should always be something probably on both of those lists. That we're able to see glimpses of where Christ lives in us. And we're able to see those places where we're still trying to be Lord. And where Christ is not king and in charge. And then we bring those. And this is the cycle of a Christian but one that we do in our relationship with Jesus. Not out of fear of a taskmaster, but in the presence of one who we know loves us and who we love in return. And so relationship changes everything. And that's, that's a distinction that I think is indicative of what it means to be a Christian. It's not just about the things that you do. It's about the one who you know and who knows you. And then our job is to go and invite others to come and meet this Jesus. To testify to them, hey, this is what God's doing in my life. This is the Jesus who I know. And he loves me and he loves you and wants you to come and return to him. Because a judgment will come in the end. But Jesus offers us a free gift of eternal life, of forgiveness of our sins, so that we can live as people who are free and loved by God and not people who are, are nervous about whether we've done all the right things so that hopefully we'll be able to have done just enough to keep God happy uh, on the last day. That fear should be cast out in Jesus. And let us give thanks then to the Father today for the love that we have in Christ, for the freedom and forgiveness and love and mercy and grace that's been poured upon us. And so without fear or shame, we can continually return to the Lord in repentance and receive once again his love, his mercy, and his peace. Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks and praise for this day. We thank you for the abundance of love poured on us through the work of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We pray that the Holy Spirit would continue to teach us what it means to be loved and forgiven by you, that we might come to more fully understand that we are called to a relationship with you, not called to complete certain tasks to keep you happy. May we live in your love and presence. 
May our lives be lived to your honor and glory, and may others come to see you in us. And we make this prayer through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.